There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Jonah chapter number one and look at verse. Num, excuse me, Jonah chapter number 2 and verse number 1. We are crossing over into chapter number 2, a relatively brief chapter, but one we'll spend a couple of weeks on. Jonah chapter number one, 2 and verse number 1. And let's all stand out of honor and reverence to God's word. Jonah 2 and verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 2. And I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, the view from rock bottom. The view from rock bottom. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine infliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. The view from rock bottom. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. God, I pray that you would help us as we look at your word, as we attempt to gain the sense of it. Guide me as I share insights into this word of God. But God, nothing can surpass the working of the Holy Spirit. God, as I preach this book, your Holy Spirit takes its words and speaks directly to our hearts. God, you know the condition of every father, every man, every woman, boy and girl in this room. God, I pray you would speak to their heart expressly. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Nearly 10 years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to preach at the Pacific Garden Mission in downtown Chicago. Now, that might not mean much to you, but it's a very important place to me. That is the place where Billy Sunday was saved. It is a homeless rescue mission. Billy Sunday, who went on to shake this nation with this preaching, God used him in a mighty way. He saved him at the Pacific Garden Mission. And I've always, from the early days of my ministry, uh, been tied to rescue mission ministry, to preaching in the, to the homeless in the rescue mission. And so when I was there, I went by, they had a little store, maybe they had a, a display of some books that they sold. And one of the books I picked up was entitled, Not the Righteous. And the title is taken from Jesus' words in Matthew nine thirteen that said, I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The book is filled with stories of people who have given their heart and lives to Jesus Christ. It tells about, most of them, tells about how that they hit rock bottom. One of the stories I read last night was of a man by the name of Cecil Carnes. Cecil Carnes was an exceptional student growing up as a child. He had a great desire to excel within him. He was very smart. He was well liked. He grew older with dreams of great success. And, and although he had lost a leg during a farming accident on his parents' farm, he was going on to do great things. Nothing would stop him from accomplishing his dreams. After one year of college, his parents sadly had to tell him that he could not go back for a second year. That he was, he's going to have to stay on the family farm so that they can make ends meet. And so grudgingly, Cecil Carnes stayed on the family farm. He stayed to work for the family. For years and years, he felt like he was tied to that farm, to that family. And he, he couldn't pursue his dreams of, of notoriety, dreams of success that he so wanted. Until one day, his, uh, within two years, his parents died of, of different ailments. 
And he found himself kind of wandering aimlessly. He he took to a job uh, in a local town and and began to excel at that job, climbing the ranks. And after a while, that job wasn't enough. He had to find another job. He found a job managing uh, first uh, just uh, entry level into the hotel business. And within a couple of years, he was the general manager of that hotel. But that still did not satisfy that insatiable desire to succeed. He went on to another business and then another business. When his parents passed away years ago, Cecil Kearns began to drink alcohol to deal with the the loss of his parents and his guilt over how he did not appreciate them and, and how he wanted to leave them behind. And as he went through the ranks in business and in society, The alcoholism only grew and grew and grew until finally the alcoholism in Cecil Stern's life began to to swirl out of control. The, The higher he climbed, the more difficult it was for him to keep a job. Finally, it got so bad that he could not hardly keep down the most menial jobs that he could find in Chicago. Finally, he had gotten to the point where he had been thrown out of his place of residence because he couldn't pay his rent. He was wandering around the city and happened to have $2 left in his pocket. He asked a man uh, uh, on the city street, sir, can you help me? And the guy said, well, if it's for money, I'm not going to give you anything. He said, sir, no, I don't want money. He said, what I'm asking here is that if you'll tell me a place, I've got $2 in my pocket, and I don't want to spend this dollars on drinking alcohol. Can you tell me where I can go to keep from drinking this $2 away? Well, there's a mission on the other side of town called the, uh, uh, the Pacific Garden Mission. You can find a meal and a bed there and not spend your $2. Uh, Cecil Stearns made his way across town and when the, when the mission was inside, across the street from the mission was a bar room. And instead of going to the mission, he, he, he went over to the bar room and he, he drank the most of the part of the last two dollars away. Smoked it away, drank it away, stumbling out of the bar late in the night. He saw one of the ministers out there in front of the Pacific Garden mission. He made his way across the street tugged the minister by the sleeve, and then uh, the conversation ensued. Cecil asked the man, Can you save me? The preacher, startled by what he said, said, No, sir, I, I can't save you. But I know someone who can. Looking confused, Cecil, uh, 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 Cecil began, to, uh, the preacher responded, Do you want to be saved? He said, look, I'm not even sure what that means, but I want to be different than I am the way now. Listen, will you help me find God? He did. The preacher led Cecil Stearns into a a small room where he shared God's word with him. And Cecil, who didn't know a scrap of Bible, who didn't know anything of theology, only knew that there was one answer, one way he could be changed. And it was by Jesus, calling on to Jesus. I tell you the story of Cecil because I want you to listen to the first few lines of the story in that book. The author wrote this, There are endless ways for a man to slip down until he hits rock bottom. But there's only one way up. There is only one way that is trustworthy and eternal. When you have hit rock bottom, when you are at your lowest that you can possibly be, there is only one direction to look. That's where Jonah found himself. Jonah has hit rock bottom. There is no other way to put it. And in this second chapter, from the belly of this well, Jonah begins to look in the only direction that he can. Up. Up. In these two verses, Jonah expresses some timeless truths about the Lord that that create for us the view from the bottom of everything. 
What does it look like when you've hit rock bottom? What is the view? What can be seen when you're in 20,000 leagues at the bottom of the ocean in a whale's belly? What possible way out can be seen? No matter how deep or how far you have gone, there are three facts in these two verses that remain the same for not only Jonah, but for you and I. Whether you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are lost this morning. You've never genuinely turned to God and said, God, I cannot save myself. You'll have to save me. Or whether you are a believer and you, like Jonah, have wandered so far from God that no one would be able to tell you're a believer at all. This is the view for every one of us from the bottom. I want you to notice three facts. From the bottom, what can we say? What is the view from the rock bottom? Number one, from the bottom, you can cling to God in hope. You can cling to God in hope. Now, now the idea of hitting rock bottom is usually characterized by what? Despair. A sense that all hope is lost. A sense in which one realizes that there's no one left to turn to. That there's no other route of escape. That there's no other options. But as long as you have a pulse, as long as you're on the other side of the cemetery, your top side above the grave, there is hope. There is hope in the God of heaven who walks in and around the place known as Rock Bottom. Jonah has finally realized that in the place where he is, there is a God that walks in those places. There is hope in God. If you're here this morning drenched in despair in your rebellion and sin against God, I want you to understand something. Despite how far you've gone, how low you've sunk, there is hope in God. Number one, there's hope in God no matter the distance. Notice verse number one. And you know, as I was studying for this message, that first word just got real big in my heart. Then. Then, chapter number 2, verse number 1, then. When was then? Then was somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. Then was in the midst of a raging storm. Then was under the waters of that sea. Then was sinking further and further and further in what seemed to be a watery grave. Then was in the belly of a great fish. Then was in the belly of a great fish at the bottom of the sea. It was then that Jonah decided to call out to God. He had said nothing to God prior to. He had said nothing as they stood on the windswept deck of that boat. He had said nothing under the glaring eyes of the other soldiers as they knew he was the reason this calamity had come upon them. Jonah said nothing to God. As all the other pagans aboard the boat were crying out to their gods, Jonah, who knew the one true God, stood with arms folded in silence. Jonah basically said, I would rather die than talk to God. I would rather die than call on the God of heaven. Jonah had a death wish. But in the depths of that fish's belly, Jonah had a change of heart. (laughs) Jonah changed his mind. You know, death doesn't seem like such a great an option anymore when he's in the belly of that fish. No, it doesn't seem like the greatest of options. You see, the inner cry of the human heart begins to scream. And it's that cry that says, I don't want to die. I don't.
don't want to die. I want to live, God, within all of us is place this cry. I don't want to die. I want to live. Jonah heard that cry. It began to well up in his soul. Author Philip Carey said that the sailors had obeyed the Lord before it was too late. Before they had suffered shipwreck. Whereas Jonah does not pray until he hits the bottom. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it, 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 it is only when you are at your greatest distance from God that you realize just how far you've fallen from Him. Just how deep in sin that you are. But even there, even there, as low as you could possibly go, Jonah must have thought, Maybe, just maybe, my God could hear me call. You see, the first thing that Jonah realized down in the belly of that fish is that there might be hope in God. That God may be still one that is able to save. In unparalleled poetic words, David assures us that we can hope in God no matter the distance. Psalm 139, 7-10 Where shall I go to flee from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. David said there's no place on this planet. What was Jonah trying to do? Flee the presence of the Lord. And it's futile. It couldn't happen. Even in the lowest of the lowest of the low. David said if I make my bed in hell. Thou there. And Jonah says amen. <laughs> I was in hell. I was in the belly of that fish. And God heard my cry. There's hope. If there's anything you should know this morning of the God of heaven, when you are at rock bottom, there is hope. No matter your distance, but also no matter your defiance. Look at verse number 2. And I said, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Notice that. I cried by reason of my affliction to the Lord. Jonah his now understanding that what has come upon him is indeed the chastening hand of God. When was then? Verse number 1. When was then? Then was when he had refused to obey the command of God. Then was after a fish-shaking tantrum, uh, he, and a fish-shaking tantrum stomped off in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. Then was after he brought a ticket, a one-way ticket to as far as obeying God as he could get. Then was when he stood defiantly on the deck of that ship that was about to be broken up apart by the wind and the waves and stubbornly refused to relent to the will of God. Then was when after he was thrown into the waters of the Mediterranean Sea than to say yes to the command of God. This was an outright defiant man. He would have nothing to do with what God wanted in his life, what God commanded him to do. He would have nothing to do with it. But somewhere between the cold seawater of the Mediterranean burning his eyes and the digestive juices in the whale's belly burning his skin, Jonah had a change of heart. <laughs> Ain't nothing like being carried out by a mom or dad or get, about to get a whooping to change that heart. Ain't nothing like a whooping across the backside to cause you to say, Mama, I'll never do it again. Daddy, I'll never do that again. 
Here's Jonah. Jonah is encountering hope despite his defiance. Jonah had a change of heart and after all that defiance, he turns to God and calls on him. Are you kidding me? Are, are, is, is, am I reading this right? That he would have the gall, the audacity to turn to God. Jonah, you made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it. And yet, what does he do? He turns to God. Yes, even when you have defied God time and time again, there is still hope. Even when you have trespassed again and again against Him and gone into the depths of sin that would scare the daylights out of you if we projected it on this wall. Even when we've gone to such depths that you would be absolutely mortified if someone knew your sin, even then, even after I've screamed and hot, your preacher loves you enough to tell you not to do that, and you do it anyway. There's still hope. There's still hope that God's mercy is undiminished by your defiance. That His love is unquenched for you by your defiance. There's hope. Wherever you are, closest to the rock bottom as you've ever been, there is hope beyond your defiance. After the prodigal son had told his father, I wish you were dead and took his inheritance and wasted it in his rebellion, poured it out in parties and booze and women. He still thought of his father when he was surrounded by pigs and lying in field. I'll go to my father. There's still hope. There's still hope. There's still hope for you. There's still hope for you in your sin. There's still hope for you in your rebellion. Jonah, in all of his defiance, saw hope and called on God. I tell you, no matter how you have messed up and blown it with God, no matter how many times you've ignored the knock on your heart's door, preferring your sin instead of pleasing Him, there's hope for you yet. No matter how far down you've gone, cling to that hope today. Take God up on that hope. Like Jonah did. No matter if you're at rock bottom, the view down there is one that can cling to God in hope. Second of all, you can count on God to hear. What does it look like? What's the environment at rock bottom? You can cling to God in hope. You can count on God to hear. There is a in 1880, 1895, a young Italian named Gilano Marconi. You should recognize the name Marconi. Gilano Marconi. He invented what is called what he called the wireless telegraph while experimenting in his parents' attic. And he was the one that birthed the radio. Radio waves. Later in his life, Marconi had a theory. A theory that sound never dies. That it just continuously goes on and on and on. And Marconi thought that if I had just the right listening device, if I had just the right amplifiers and just the right coils and just the right, the right hardware, then I could tune in any sound from the past. Marconi believed that he could take some sort of gadget and tune in the voice of Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount with just the right equipment because sound never dies. That's what he believed. Sound never dies. That it never is diminished. But when it comes to the listening ear of God, you see, 
Marconi believed that that sound it doesn't it doesn't die, but it becomes too faint to hear. You can't. You just can't. We're, our ears aren't able to hear it anymore. But you have the right device. You can tune it in. Well, I want you to understand something: that the ear of God is your your voice is never too faint to be heard by the ear of God. You can count on God to hear despite, first of all, your location. Notice verse number 1. Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. Notice this. Out of the belly. Out of the fish's belly. Out of the fish's belly. I remember when I was a kid. And mom would sometimes take us to the Trenton pool. And I had some very distinct memories as I was recalling things today. I was thinking about when I was a kid and being taken to the Trenton pool. And, and me and my sister Karen, we'd, we'd pretend to play games in that pool. And I'd try different things. You know, I would try opening my eyes underwater. Oh, how that chlorine would sting. And, and uh, I would see so blurringly, couldn't see clear. But I, I'd try that underwater. We, Karen and I, we would, try to, uh, we would try to sit down Indian style on the bottom of the pool. That was the whole thing. To try to sit down on the bottom of the pool and, and just see how long we could stay there on the bottom of the pool. Another thing that I would try to do is I would try to talk to my sister underwater. Like I would get underwater and I would... Take my breath and I would, Karen! I would yell as hard as I could on that water. A big, big air bubble blah, would go out of my mouth as I'm trying to yell to my sister. And she could never hear me. But for whatever reason, sound waves don't carry well underwater. Especially kind of the sound that we make. Now I know you've seen those submarines and they put those signals out there and they bounce off. And they, but when we talk, we have to have air. Uh, to make our voices heard. I, I could scream as loud as I could, and yet my sister wouldn't be unable to really make out what I was saying. Can you imagine how faint Jonah's voice must have been as he tried, as he cried out to God from the belly of that fish 2,000 leagues in the bottom of the sea? I'm not even sure that Marconi, if he had the right tool, could tune in the voice of Jonah. Down in the fish's belly, at the bottom of the sea, crying out as loud as he could. But his location was no separation from the ear of God. Jonah exclaims that he cried unto the Lord from the fish's belly. And in verse number 2, and the Lord heard him. Think of how quiet, think of how difficult it must have been for, for anyone to hear Jonah, for anyone to sense his cry. And from the fish's belly, the Lord heard Jonah. I've seen men cry their way to God from a rescue mission. I've seen men cry their way to God from a prison cell. From the lowest points in their life, they have cried to God and God has heard their cry. You may be in the back of a classroom or you may be in the back of a police car. But God can hear your cry. You may be in the filth of the pig pen or you may be in the depths of the sea. And God's word assures us that he will hear our cry. Jesus can hear when you cry to him. Wherever you are, however deep down in the darkness of sin and rebellion you are, when you cry out to God, he'll hear. No matter how faint. There have been times where I've been in rebellion against God. Where I was embarrassed of my behavior before God. I had sunk to new lows in my life. And all I could give was the, was the squeakiest. God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And God would attend my cry. God would bring His Word and show me that my sin could be forgiven, that I could be made right. God can hear you. He hears your cry, no matter where you are, no matter how deep you are. Despite your location, 
despite your isolation, God can hear. Let's say that Jonah was in the belly of the whale and the whale somehow came up to the surface near the boat. And it's just so happened there were two sailors standing on that side of the boat where the whale turned, come up and all of a sudden the whale turns its belly up and they hear something like this. They hear some thumping on the, on the belly of the fish and they hear a muffled sound and one sailor looks at if they would have realized, hey, that sounds like Jonah. Could it be Jonah's step? Jonah, is that you? <laughs> even if they'd have heard, even if they'd have realized he was there, there's nothing they could do. There's nothing they could do to help. There's no, no way that they could come to him. In isolation, Jonah was on his own. They were absolutely helpless to do anything for Jonah. Jonah was on his own. Jonah was isolated. There was no one around. No one that could reach him. No one that could pull him out. No one that could find and lend a hand. Nobody to hear his cries. Nobody can hear his cries with the intent to respond. I tell you what, your sin may have burned every bridge you have ever had. You may have lost friends, you, you, all the friends that you ever thought you had. Your family may have, been, have, have burned, you, you may have burned things up with your family and burned them so many times that there is no way that they will ever even answer your phone calls and listen to your sad tales. There may be, no, there may not be a person on this planet that would be willing to hear your tale of woe. But I want you to know that there is a Father in heaven that will not fail to hear. That will not fail to lend an ear. One author said this, To be with Jonah at this point in the story is to be where only Jesus Christ can visit you and save you. You know, I've talked about it many times with my wife and I've preached it before. It is as though God's got to get you to the end of yourself before He can save you. He's got to get you to the point where the only place you can look to is Him. Jonah has reached that point of no return. Reached that point at the bottom. You know the Bible says that we cannot save ourselves from the consequences of our sin. And that there is no one of Adam's race that can save us. But Jesus came and He died on a cross and He rose from the grave that He could save us. That God could respond here and respond to our cry. That God, when we're all by ourselves, when we're all on our own, when no one will reach out and no one will hear what we have to say. There is a God in heaven that knows us better than our mother and our father. He knows every fiber of our being. He counts the numbers of hairs on our head. He knows uh, the length of our, uh, of our stature. He knows the width of our hands. He, he knows everything about us and is willing to hear when no one else can. Cry out to Him. As a young preacher during my devotional time, I ran across this verse and it's, I've gone to it time and time again. Psalm 102.17 He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. He will regard the prayer of the destitute. The destitute, those that will not hear, those that cannot be reached, those that no one will help. He'll help them. He'll hear them. Notice last of all, the view from the bottom Looks like this. You can cling to God in hope. You can count on God to hear. Finally, 
You can call on God to help. Call on God to help. An historian made a study of the diaries of teenage girls over the past 150 years. Collected them as much as they could from all, all the different decades down through the past 150 years. And she compared the differences between the older diaries and the ones from today. The big difference is that the, in the past, the girls who were more likely to put, the girls were more likely to put in their personal struggles, put their personal struggles in a spiritual context. They were more likely to call upon God for His help in their character development. But today, she discovered, girls are counting on themselves. But counting on ourselves is a dead end. You counting on you is not going to help you when you're in a fish's belly. There's no way that Jonah can count on himself for deliverance from this predicament. Thank God there is a God that can not only we can hope in and not only can hear us, but He's a God that can do something about where we are. He can help us. Notice, first of all, He can help us because of His heart. Verse number 2, And I cried and, I, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Notice this. And he heard me. He heard me. You know, for the most part in this chapter, Jonah has acted like God didn't exist, pretty much. He did say, he did self-righteously say, well, I fear the God of heaven, but he didn't act like that. He pretty much pretended like God wasn't there. But that never changed the fact that God loved Jonah. You, you, may, be in, you may be embarrassed of your mom being at the school dance and may not acknowledge that she's there, but the reality is she still loves you. You may be ashamed at your dad's presence during a doctor's visit, but he loves you just the same. God is that same way. Even though Jonah did everything he could to run from God, to refuse God, to rebel against God, it did not change the fact that God loved and God cared about Jonah. He cared about the, uh, the consecutive narrative of his life. He cared where Jonah was going to end up. Not his fish food in the bottom of the ocean, but standing boldly to proclaim God's judgment to a people who were lost. He cared about the narrative of Jonah's life. He cared where Jonah ended up. In verse number 2, Jonah exclaimed that the Lord, He heard me. Now, we have to, we have just talked about how that the Lord hears the cries when no one else can hear them. But the word heard here in verse number 2, it not only means to hear audibly with an ear, to recognize one's vocal tone, but an interpret, an intent to respond. This word heard has with it coupled the intent to do something about it. He heard Jonah and with that hearing, there is the intent to do something about it. It's, it's compressed into that language and what it says. It indicates that God heard His voice and was going to do something. God still has a heart for Jonah. And He hears Jonah with the intent to respond. I tell you, the heart of God is just as big toward you and toward me. Even when we failed, when we're, when we're as far from God as we can get, when we turn with, to Him, God not only hears, but has the intent to help. He comes running. He comes at the sound of, of our voice. He comes to us. 
Listen, God's heart is just as big. He sent His Son Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, to die on the rugged cross to pay our sin debt, to ransom our souls. And that intent, that will of God, that desire for redeeming you and I will not be deluded by distance. It will not be diminished by depths. It will not be dis- in, uh, dis- dis- uh, dis- uh, distinguished uh, by dis- dis- It will not be disintegrated by disobedience. Whatever you've done will not kill that love that God has for you. He loves you and nothing can change that reality. Hosea 6.1 Come, let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us up. If we'll call on Him. He will come. He will rescue. He will save. Notice not only because of his heart, but also because of his hand. If you'll study verses 2 through 9 in this chapter, you'll find that in the Hebrew, this is a poem. It's a song. It has all the characteristics of a poem. It has meter and rhyme and rhythm and mood and figurative language. Now, I've written a few poems in my day, some more of them in an earlier day, but I've written a few poems in my day. And what I've done is I'll get at my desk and I'll get my handy dandy pencil out, I'll sharpen it real sharp, and I'll get me a pad and a piece of paper and I'll I'll wipe it, you know, and I'm ready to write and then I'll I'll begin to put words on that paper. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll write it down, then I'll think about it, and I'll, no, I don't like that word. And I'll, I'll take out that word there, and I'll put another word, and I'll insert a phrase. I'll put arrows, put that phrase right there. That goes right there, and, and I'll scribble, so say, no, I don't like that. I'll erase that. I'll do something else. And It was a poem. I read a poem. I've done it many times. But when we come to this poem, I, or, but I, one thing I've never done is write a poem on a roller coaster. Now, to be honest, I might write a poem about a roller coaster later on, but I've never been on the Goliath at Six Flags with my pen and my paper there writing down a poem or reciting it in my head. Please don't forget this poem. The, the coaster went kaboom and my belly sunk low. You know, I, I, I'm trying to remember something as I'm riding a roller coaster. Or I'm not writing a poem as I'm having a car accident. No. Poems are reflections on events that have taken place in the past. Now I'm pretty sure that when Jonah wrote verses 2 through 9 that he didn't write that with pen in hand in the belly of that whale. As a matter of fact, the tense of everything that is said is past tense. It's as though Jonah is recounting what took place in the belly of the whale. Not giving us verbatim exactly what he said. But more like what he felt, what he experienced, what happened in the belly of that whale. I don't know, maybe maybe when he was spit up on the beach, all, 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 all white with acid and, and as soon as he got the acid out of his eyes he finds a, a piece of paper and a charcoal uh, a little piece of charcoal and starts saying this is what happened to me in the belly of that whale I, I don't know but it didn't take place at the very moment he was in the belly of that whale I think we can, we can assume that that didn't happen I believe that when Jonah was in the heat of the moment, in the belly of the well, his prayer wasn't not much like the prayer of Peter when he was walking on water and saw the winds and waves as he walked to Jesus. Uh, Peter didn't give some long out, drawn out, Oh God of the universe, which, which created all things by which your hand is controlled. No, what did Peter say? Save me! I don't think Jonah's prayer was much different. Glub, glub. Help me, God. Help me. I'm sorry. You deserve glory. You deserve praise. 
I'm sorry for what I've done. I, I repent. I, God, I'm sorry. Uh, Jonah cried out to God. So the fact that there is even a poem for us to read means that there is a God in heaven and that there is a book of Jonah at all is the fact that I know about this character Jonah is an indication of God's ability to save. If God had never saved Jonah, if he had never responded to his prayer, if he had never met him in the belly of that whale, we'd never even know about him. He'd be fish food at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. What do we know, understand from this? Is that God not only can hear, not only has a heart to pity Jonah, but has a hand to intercept Jonah, to deliver him safe on the shore closest to Nineveh. That's what the power of God to save is. You remember that old song we sing it sometimes? Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help. When mama can't help. When daddy can't help. When the preacher can't help, when the teacher can't help, when the school guidance counselor can't help, when grandma and grandpa can't help, God can help. God can lift us up. God can... Love lifted me. Christ lifted me. Wherever you are, however deep in it you are, there's hope. There's a hearing. And there's help. There's help. Jesus can save you. Save you from your rebellion. Save you from your sin. Save you from your backslidden Christian experience. Save you from your rebellious path. Save you from your bobslide to hell. He can save you. The date was September the 26th, 2004. It was my Wednesday night to preach at the Union Gospel Mission. I remember this night particularly because number one, this was the first night that I ever had the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord at a rescue mission. First night. It was also the first night that my dad was able to go with me. Dad, you with me that night. This happened. September 26, 2004. I preached a message entitled, uh, from Psalm 142, entitled, Cries from a Cave. Psalm 142, verse number 4, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I stood in that hot rescue mission and told them, those men, that there was one that cared for their soul. And it was Jesus. Jesus loves you and cares for you. The message is not much different than I preach to this very day. And at the end of that service, a 19-year-old boy stepped out from the table where he'd been sitting and came up front, tears streaming down his eyes. I knelt down with this young man. His name was Jason Holloway. Jason Holloway began to pour his heart out to me. He said, basically, it was an addiction to gambling. He could not hold a dollar in his pocket without blowing it on a certain gambling game over and over and over. He had stolen. He had lied. He had, he had bamboozled. He had done everything he could to get money from other people to play this game. He got to where his mother would not return his calls. He had nowhere left to live. Nowhere to go. As a 19-year-old boy, he found himself at the, at the Union Gospel Mission on that Wednesday night, September 26th. At that point, I took my Bible, the best I knew how. I said, wherever you are, Jason, and however many people rejected you, God loves you. Jesus will save you. I can't say that he'll change everything in a moment's time. But I do know this, that he can break your chains. 
That He can redeem your soul. That He can change who you are. And Jason Holloway bowed his head to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. It wasn't long after that that I got a call from the night chaplain, Steve. Hey, man. He let you know Jason got him a job. He's working over here. He's working over here at, uh, at, at the mall downtown, Warehouse Row. He got him a job. I'd run into Jason. I'd, Brother Ronnie, I'm doing well. I'm doing real good. Brother Ronnie, I'm going to college now. I'm going to go to Tennessee Temple. I don't know what God wants me to do, but I want God to use me. Went to Tennessee Temple, graduating. And Jason Hollinsworth, or Jason, uh, Jason Holloway, became the night chaplain in the very place where God saved him. There's hope. There's help. There's a hearing when you hit rock bottom. When you've got nowhere else to go. When God won't hear you. I mean, when, when mom and dad won't hear you no more. When, when your husband or your wife won't listen to your excuses anymore. When your children won't listen to you anymore. There's a place of help. If Jonah proves anything, he proves that God can help. That God will hear. That you can hope in God. Let's all stand to our feet. And come to a song of invitation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking in this room this morning. Are you here and, and you've hit rock bottom? Oh, I, I know there's no flies buzzing around your head. You're not in rags. You're not rescue mission material. But you know. You know in your heart of hearts, I can't keep going this way. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep in this same direction anymore. I'm going to die. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to waste away in this well's belly. And yet there's a God, all the while there's a God that you can hope in. There's a God that will hear you. There's a God that will help you. Will you not take your stinking pride and throw it out the window? Will you not throw your own ability to jerk yourself up by your bootstraps and do better? Will you throw that out the window? Will you simply trust in Him? Call out to Him. Trust Him. There's hope in God. There's hope in Christ. There's help in Him. He'll hear you when no one else will. He'll help you when no one else can. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. I pray you'd speak to hearts. God, use this invitation time to draw people to yourself. Thank you for where you have helped me, where I have found hope in you, where you have heard me. God, I pray the same would be experienced in other people's lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Kevin? 342 just as I am. Why don't you come? Today's the day. Why don't you come and respond to Him? You've gone as far as you can. Trust in Him this hour. Come, put your trust in Jesus. However deep you are in your sin, however far you are in your rebellion to God, there's hope in Him. Make it right today. Don't ride in the belly of that fish anymore. You come. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The unseen hand.